You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Amen. Thank you. What a message in the song. Uh, Pastor Jeremy, I have a chance to travel uh, the state a good bit, and I will tell you, I really admire and appreciate the excellence as far as what you guys bring in the ministry. It's not just doing it, but doing with excellence, and I, I appreciate it. Plus, I'm kind of impressed that, that, that you can do all the music, and I was sitting to, with you in the early service. You're harmonizing there, and uh, the accompaniments, I, I, accompanist, I guess, a wonderful job here, and I'm very impressed today with, with the way that you approach this and put all the heart into it. So God bless you for that. Uh, my name is Mark Walker. Uh, I've had the opportunity to serve the last six years in the U.S. House. A little bit about our background, I grew up in the Independent Baptist Pastors Home there in the Panhandle of Florida, a little town called Milton, right outside Pensacola there in what they call uh, L.A., Lower Alabama, or affectionately known Redneck Riviera, we go by that as well, uh, but, uh, but moved to uh, Winston-Salem in 1991. There may or may not have been a, a girl I'd met at Trinity Baptist College at the time, that lasted about three days. Uh, and decided, well, I'm not driving back to Houston, Texas, where my dad was pastoring at the time. Uh, of course, Houston, Texas is the hottest place I've ever been. I remember moving out there in August of 1989, and, uh, oh, the humidity just is horrible. So I'm telling this story to my staff one day. It's one evening. We've got some uh, votes and things coming up, and, and uh, talking about how hot it was and how literally a cassette tape had melted on my dashboard, and, and, and one of the 20-something-year-old raised his hand and said, hey, boss, what's a cassette tape? So... <laughs> As I said earlier, he's no longer on the team, but that's for different reasons. <laughs> but, uh, but no, we, uh, moved, I moved to Winston-Salem. I wanted no part of the ministry, kind of grew up in it. I knew the roller coasters, the ups and downs. And I will tell you, if you're going to engage in the ministry, you better be for sure that God's calling you into that. Because the supernatural calling that's on Pastor Jeremy and, uh, and his family there is, is unique in the context that, as you and I know, we go through life journeys, the ups and downs. Can you imagine not only for your own family, but carrying some of the burden for hundreds and hundreds of people? That's the calling on God's life. And I'm like, thanks, but no thanks, Lord. Dad, my dad can do that. I want to go pursue business. I want to go home at 6 o'clock and not worry about who's had an emergency or who's having a marital situation or whatever it might be. But about five or six years into that, I, I, I began to pray and process. I remember attending Gospel Light Baptist Church early on there, uh, there in the Walkertown area. And, but one guy came into my, uh, our business one day and he invited me to his church. He was an independent Baptist pastor. I didn't know at first because I was looking at him. I said, either he's an insurance salesman or independent Baptist pastor. That's the, <laughs> it's the only profiles I get mixed up, right? So, but but uh, Ron, Dr. Ron Beatty was his name. So he invited me to go to his church. Well, I got lost. Uh, not being that familiar with the southern, south part of Winston-Salem, but I only lived there a few months. Well, I kept passing this one church called Grace Baptist Temple. Now, if you're like me, maybe you had a mom like this. Uh, I was 1,200 miles away from her, but she would know somehow whether I was in church that morning or not. She had a direct link. I don't know how she was able to do it, but I was going to make sure I was going to be in church and uh, 21 years old at the time. And but I, I, I kind of pulled in there, you know, growing up a Baptist, I had to wait the music start because I know what happens before, you know, you kind of get the, the, the greeting, which is a good thing. Um, but I slid in and I saw this blonde sitting on the second row right here. I have no recollection of what her daddy was preaching on that morning, but it was worth coming back the next Sunday. And uh, we weaseled my way over for Sunday lunch. And to make a longer story short, uh, we've been married for 28 years and uh, three children there. And 
God's been good to us. She's a family nurse practitioner at Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. For many years, uh, she flew on the helicopter there, air care, uh, as a trauma nurse specialist. She actually has a better resume than I, so if she ever primaried me, I'd be in trouble, I think. So fortunately, she doesn't want anything to do with this side of it, and I don't, I don't blame her sometimes. But, but we, we were content to work in the business world until God began to work in both of our hearts. And we took about four or five, six months to pray about this as far as leaving the business world and going into ministry, our eyes would be wide open, being both the oldest of uh, children in preachers' homes, independent Baptist preachers' homes at that. Uh, but we surrendered. We went back to school and, and pastored there for the next 16 years. Had some good opportunities there and, and served in different capacities. And, uh, but I remember uh, God began to work in my heart again um, as far as our, the direction of our country and where we were headed. And, 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 and I will tell you, it just I became to be burdened about it. And I'm I remember after one national election, I, 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 the wrong guy had won, and I kind of hopped up out of the living room. I walked down the hallway and into the bedroom where my wife was working, and I, and I proclaimed to her, I said, Kelly, I'm running for the United States Congress. Now, some of you may have uh, very smart wives like I do that present questions that you like, well, that's, that's a pretty good question there, right? Uh, do you know anybody in Raleigh or Washington, D.C., for that matter? And uh, we're a couple of preacher's kids, so our net worth probably isn't what you need to do all that. Let me get back with you on all that. So, uh, but nevertheless, he was wonderfully supportive. We stepped out by faith, and God began to open up doors without relitigating all the different things. And uh, on paper, uh, it made no sense, but God allowed us to get there uh, without all the encumbrances and arriving in, in Congress and some wonderful opportunities and, and just to be able to serve and uh, had a chance to chair the largest caucus at the end of our first term there. And we were able to get some things done specifically on different pro-life measures as well as some of the other things that I won't get into politically right now. But uh, as I said in Sunday school, some, some people have said, how, how did you hit the ground running so quickly? And I, well, they don't know this, but we do. If you can survive a Baptist business meeting, you can, you can about work with Nancy Pelosi. Well, maybe that's a little too much. But, uh, but anyway, let's get, sorry, let's get back on where we need to be. So, uh, but to today... Uh, and I'll work in a little bit of, of, of what we've seen and what we've seen in the government. And I'll, I'll preface it by saying this. The issue in America is much less political as it is spiritual. Uh, th this is spiritual warfare. Uh, the battle that we're facing is evil. It's not like it maybe was 60 or 70 years ago where it was limited government, less government, how much money should you fund this or put in here. We have a spiritual battle that is literally going after the heart and soul of this very nation. And why is it worth fighting for? Well, if you think about this, we're the most philanthropic country in the world. Uh, if you look at it from a biblical standpoint, no other country has evangelized or sent more missionaries around the world than America. And there were men and women that invested everything they had, even their lives, to make sure that you and I, to this day, 240 years later, would be able to, be able to proclaim the message that this country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Yeah. It's still etched in the marble around places in Washington, D.C. Now, I'm waiting for some of them to come try and sandblast it out, but, but, but what we're seeing is a move to get away from that. So, transitioning, what's our role? What, what is it that we're to do? If we know the battle is spiritual, what is the role as a believer? And I want to talk about maybe three action steps, okay? Three action steps, and I want to take a passage today out of Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 and 25, uh, I, I really believe it's, it's, uh, it's more of a practical side as far as uh, what, what we're seeing Jesus talk about here. 
when he's kind of laying out, okay, if you're going to be a disciple or one of my disciples, here's three consecutive action steps that I am uh, basically telling you that, that this is the process that we need to take. So I want to unpack those and kind of break them down a little bit as we look into God's words. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, the Bible says, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, or if any man has a desire to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Let's pray as we, as we get in the message. Father God, I just ask the Holy Spirit be free to work. Lord, thank you for the Spirit already today as, as we've come together, as we have not forsaken the assembly of ourselves to hear from you. Lord, may you speak uh, to me and to the congregation today as we look into your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I used to think for many years as a pastor, uh, as I've served, as I talked about, uh, for, for nearly 16 years, a little over 16 years, and I looked at this passage and I used to think that this was kind of all one package. You just, boom, if you're going to be a disciple, here it is. The more I looked into it, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that these are three individual choices along the spiritual journey or along as we're moving to walk uh, in, in, in close to the Lord. So as I looked in this thing for a little while and studied it, I, I began to look at all three of these things. And I said, well, is it all three together? Are they choices? And I, and I remember I thought about the rich young ruler who was making the case that, hey, he had denied himself and he'd kept all the commandments, but the Lord was saying, okay, I want you to follow me this direction. He's like, that's too, too much of a price to pay. So the more I looked about it, the more I realized that sometimes we miss some of this as far as the essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah. The first thing that, that Jesus said very clearly, if you desire, you're going to be a disciple, if you're coming after me, the first thing is to deny yourself. Now, I'm just going to be frank with you. I didn't wake up today. I didn't wake up any day this week. And the first impulse, I said, what are ways I can deny myself today? You know, is there, is there a specific way? No, we don't think that way. We're humans. I'm, I'm thinking about breakfast. I'm thinking about how I'm going to appease the flesh. I'm going to think about what makes life more comfortable. I, uh, all those different aspects of it, that's our uh, immediate instinct. But here Jesus is saying, I want you to deny yourself. Well, what does that mean? I think a lot of that means is to be able to get to the place where we're surrendering our will. Uh, is we're, we're denying our flesh, we're redirecting our focus. Jesus was a prime example of this in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's prayed, not my will, but yours be done, talking, about, uh, talking to God the Father. Is that our mindset as believers is what I'm asking. I, myself, I'm asking myself included. Is, are there moments of time throughout the week or day to day where we're denying ourselves and having that fellowship with the Lord uh, through prayer, uh, through fasting, uh, which I think is incredibly biblical, but maybe sometimes it's just, it's just cutting off the noise, all the distractions. Here's one of them right here, okay? I'm checking my Twitter feed. Who said something nasty about me today? That's what i got to look at here a little bit. No, I'm just teasing with you. But, um, but all the different things, the social media, the, 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 the television, the, the, the laptop, noise, noise, noise. Is there any time in there where we're saying, you know what? We're going to set this thing down, okay? And we're just going to spend the next 30 minutes. Maybe it's through a meal. Maybe it's just a time devoted in the evening that we're fellowshipping with the Lord because it's in those moments that we most often hear from the Lord. 
And that's why he's saying to deny yourself, to not fill it with substance all the time. Hey, even good things. Dare I say even ministry things sometimes that we can get so much on autopilot there, there's no time in there that we're surrendering that mindset. We're caught up with the distractions. And those are the times that I believe that God is asking us or even telling us, Jesus is in his own words, there's got to be a time in your day where you're denying yourself or some moments where you're pushing back on that. So number one, not only to deny yourself, but number two, if it, just when you think, okay, I, I can do that, <laughs> then the real whammy comes, take up your cross. Now, if you thought denying yourself was bad, who likes that imagery, right? Because it just wasn't the, the, the painful aspect of, of what a cross symbolizes, but the cross also symbolizes shame. Remember the passage, who, who made himself a form of a servant, was willing to give up the reputation, all those different things? We, we don't think that way, and I'm not saying it's wrong. We're not naturally wired that way. But here we are being told to deny yourself, to take up your cross. I, I remember um, leaving transition to business world and going back to school full time and trying to work. My wife was working 3P to 3A at that time, an ICU nurse uh, in, in Winston-Salem there. And we had a three and a half year old son. Our daughter was about six or seven months. And it's one of those nights where I've got a paper due the next morning. I've tried to work all day. I know she's not getting a 3A. I, I, dudes, we're just not equipped with the skill set that, that the wives and moms are to be able to handle this. Let me just be honest with you. We're trying, but, um, but it was just, oh my goodness gracious. It was a tough night. And I remember finally getting Rachel, the, my six-month-old girl, finally getting her down, eased her down. And about the time I had set her down, I heard this just blood-curdling explosion downstairs. So I I, um, I, I run downstairs as quick as I can. Now she's crying, she, and, and I'm looking, and I, and I round the, the, the steps to look toward the kitchen, and out comes walking my three-and-a-half-year-old son, and he's dripping with this brown liquid from his nose, his chin, ears, and I, I run to him to make sure everything's there, and I kind of look around in him in the kitchen. I mean, there's brown liquid everywhere. It's on the, the, the ceiling, the light fixtures, the cabinets. It's ever So earlier in that week... Uh, you know, one of his granddads, both were independent Baptist preachers, which meant he needed therapy at some point. No, I'm just teasing with you. So, it's a joke. I've been there. So, uh, but but what, one, one, of the, one of the granddads uh, thought it would be good that his three and a half year old had his first set of golf clubs. And they, they were like a, a pitching wedge, a seven iron and a putter, right? They were metal. So while I'm getting Rachel upstairs, uh, he's rolling out this Pepsi can in the middle of the floor and doing his best Phil Mickelson into the side of that thing and it just explodes everywhere. But it was in that moment where you get to the place where, okay, I'm surrendered now, okay? <laughs> Sometimes God, uh, he wants us to deny or, or take up a cross or surrender. Sometimes he's got to pry it out of our hands. You ever been there? I've been there on more than one occasion. Uh, that's for sure. But to be able to get to the place not only that we're having that discipline, but we're willing to take up that cross. That's the sacrifice part. You see, here's the thing. As a believer, every single one of us have a cross to bear. I, I, don't, I don't like initially, I'm just going to be transparent with you. I don't like, when I first hear that, that's something that I don't want to ascertain. I want, I want to have a, a life that I don't have to worry about carrying a cross. But, but here's the part of it that's very important. It is the cross part, that surrender part, that literally is the purifying process that allows us to come forth as gold that we can maximize the potentials, the skills, whatever and however he's created us. 
if we're not willing to go under and carry that cross, we're, we're almost this dead wood. We're just there. We're not accomplishing ultimately what his design, since the foundations of the earth, since it, it, Psalms 139, when he knew you when you were in your mother's womb, that's why it's important that we go through this refining process. Now, on paper, it doesn't make sense, but in Matthew 11:30, he says to us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, how do you square that, right? How do you, how do you process, well, now wait a second, Mark, uh, you're telling me that I deny myself, take up his cross, but his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Well, here's the thing. When there's a total surrender, that's when you're able to find a way to praise him in the storm. That's when you can say amen, even when it's still raining. And you know what else? That's when the world sees our faith the most. Anybody, any of us can praise him on the mountaintop. You know, we're high-fiving each other or elbow. I don't know what, hope you still high-five in Roanoke or shake hands. I don't know, Roanoke Rapids here. But, but, but the, the, the aspect of that is simply as when the world is watching us, they're watching us most when we carry the cross. That's right. now, now, what kind of cross has God asked you to carry? Because it comes in different phases, shapes and sizes for different people. Sometimes it's relational cross, a marital situation, a financial a wayward adult child, something that you go to bed with at night, that you wake up in the morning, that, that there's almost a daily surrender to it. You know, it's, it's interesting about a 24-year-old time period when Jesus talks about our mercies are new each morning, give us today our daily bread. We need that renewing and time surrendering it each day. But some of you have a strong cross that God has asked you to carry. Uh, over the years, I have noticed different phases, uh, whether it's in the political arena or mostly the church arena, the toughest cross that I have seen individuals have to carry is the cross of forgiveness. Yeah. I've seen it so many times, and it's been amazing because I think the reason that the enemy works in that area, if he can plant a seed of bitterness somewhere along the way, he can literally alter God's very best for your life. Right. And sometimes it can be something minor or minute, sometimes it's not. I have seen funerals and services where families sit on different sides of the church because they don't speak to each other because of something that happened a generation ago. They can't even really tell you specifically what happened. They just do something. Somebody said something. How many times do we miss God's best because we're carrying something that somebody did or some, something said? And, and I will tell you, I get it. Sometimes it is legitimate, the wrongdoing. Sometimes it's unfair. Sometimes it's unjust. And dare I say, sometimes it's even ungodly. But you remember what Paul talks about He's in Philippians 3? He says, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on. Why? He's got this calling, this mark, this prize of the calling of Jesus Christ. And I think if we get to the place where we're carrying that and we're not able to surrender it, I think it, 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 it really gets us to a place sometimes where we are limited in what we're to accomplish for the Lord Jesus Christ. Where are you in that? I, I, I understand the process. I understand. I, I remember, I remember uh, playing football in high school and having a chance to play quarterback. I thought I was too good to do all the drills, especially the ones with the linemen. You know, they're just supposed to hit each other. I'm supposed to be over here doing something else. But I had a coach that, for whatever, thought it would be good for my well-being to be in these drills as well. And we used to have one called Bull in the Ring. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. So uh, I don't know if that's politically correct even to do anymore. Who knows these days, right? So, so you would, you would, uh, the coach would put these guys in a circle, and one of us would be in the middle, and you'd have the football, right? You'd, you'd, this is how you hold it. And, and he would call a number, 
and you would have to turn. And of course, anytime you're you know, in a little collision, you're going to get your center of gravity where it needs to be, and, and, and you would kind of, he would run into you in number 42 over here. Well, every now and then the coach would call a number. The best of my recollection, number 70 was to my left, but before I realized to, he was to my right, it was too late to turn around and, I mean, right in that ear hole, and it would ring your bell. Now, uh, you take a minute to kind of walk it off. The point is this, is when we uh, deal with those attacks from the world, man, we're Ephesians 6. We got the helmet, we got the gospel, the breastplate of righteousness. I mean, we're just blocking everything. What we don't anticipate is sometimes when we get hit from the blind side, right. when we get hit from inside the camp. That's, that's the ones that stick, because sometimes that comes from friends and family. Are you able to, is that your cross this morning? And if it is, have you been able to surrender, have I been able to surrender that back to the Lord? Because that's the one that stings because we're not braced for it. That's the one that kind of lifts you off your feet and kind of leaves a mark for a while. Uh, and, and, and sometimes when it comes from people that you trusted with information or you trusted that you're carrying something together, and when that's used or that's spiteful, that's hurt, intended or not, it's a cross sometimes that's very heavy to bear. As I said earlier, probably one of the heavier crosses that I have seen. But, but that's part of the brokenness that, that sometimes we walk through. I remember being at a, at a, at a conference and uh, arriving. I, I was 34 years old, serving at a mega church, thinking that I had, you know, I was, I had arrived and uh, making two or three times more money than my dad ever made, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm just all that. And I remember a guy from Atlanta, Georgia, standing up next to me. There was about 50 pastors in the room. And he said this. He said, I'm not sure God can use you to your fullest until you've been completely broken. Now, in my arrogance, I thought maybe that's what you needed, but you know, I'm kind of checking all the boxes here, doing the right thing. And, but in my ignorance, uh, realizing that God later that year would take us to something, would take everything that we thought was where we needed to be, take it all that away, and then say, kind of, how do you like me now? And I remember in starting a church not too long ago, about a year after that, uh, standing in a ditch, putting our yard sign out for about 40 people meeting in that church that day. And I looked down one, I remember one specific Sunday, I was putting out the sign, the cross point this way, and I looked at my shoes. And those were the same shoes that had stood before thousands of people. And I may have about 50 people showing up at our church that day. But, it, but God, it was almost like he tapped me on the shoulder and said, okay, I can use you now. See, that's, that's part of carrying this cross. That's part of the brokenness that sometimes that we go through to equip us that allows us to be everything that he's called us to be. And here's the thing. Here's, here's what we do to ourselves sometimes. Sometimes we limit or put margins of what God wants to do in our lives. You didn't go to the right school. You didn't have this kind of money. You're not this. You're not that. So therefore, we know it from history, biblical history. That's what Moses told the Lord. Lord, I'm not, a, I'm not an orator type. Uh, you know, I don't articulate my points and close with a good illustration and all this. So maybe Aaron, maybe somebody else should be doing this. Well, see, that's how God gets the glory in all of this. I remember, uh, it wasn't too long ago, uh, I guess about a year and a half or early 19, I was named ranking member on intelligence and counterterrorism. And, and I'm opening up the dossier and the profiles and I'm looking at all the different other members on there. I think the runt in the litter uh, did his law school, or undergraduate at Notre Dame Law School at SMU in Dallas, and they get to me, and 
there's my theology degree at Piedmont Baptist College. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what's wrong with this picture, right? But, but the point is this, nothing we've attained, but, but God sometimes does some amazing things in our lives when we're willing to walk through that fire and to be able to carry that cross and be faithful in doing so. Because here's the part. I know it's kind of been gloom and doom at this point. To deny yourself to take up your cross. But Ephesians 3.20 kind of merges what that last part is, what it says, follow Jesus. When you think about the follow Jesus and you think about Ephesians 3.20, that to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or hope with this broken vessel, that's, that's where we're going on this journey. And getting through those first two steps to deny ourselves, to walk with the Lord and being willing to carry the cross of, of what that might look like. But getting to the place where now we're equipped to follow Jesus specifically where he's called and what he's called us to accomplish. That's the essence of when he says, I want you to be my disciple. This is where we are going with it is to deny ourselves, take up our cross and get rid of those margins. Psalms 139 says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. It means he's got a purpose for each and every one of our lives to accomplish something. When we stand before the Lord for whatever position he called, I believe the question is going to be asked, were you faithful with where I called and what I called you to accomplish? That is the essence of this journey as we move forward. I, I, uh, I remember uh, one night getting a call from the White House, and it was before the National Day of Prayer, and um, the, the president wanted some, some of the religious people to come over, and five or six of us or seven or eight uh, were, were over there. I will tell you this, we're, we're, something that you don't always know, there's actually I had a chance to be the co-chairman of the prayer caucus. Uh, each week when you fly in on those Mondays, sometimes a Tuesday as well, you'll fly in there on a Monday, your first votes are Monday evening around 6.30, and there's actually about 15 or 20 of us that would gather off the chambers in room 219, uh, that's which is, if you're looking at the State of the Union where the president walks back out the back door, it would be the room down to your left, about maybe 50, 50, 60, 70 feet. But we would gather to seek God's guidance and pray for direction. So as the co-chairman there, the president invited us, invited me over and a uh, few House members, few senators, few other people there. And we were talking about all the different world religions and, the, and President Trump was talking about a recent conversation he had had with Pope uh, in, in, about the rise of radical fundamental uh, Islamist behavior and how it's changed in Europe. And so let the conversation go. And you've had these conversations in the sense, you know, when the Lord's kind of moving on your heart to kind of share or, or, or speak about, uh, about your faith. And, and finally, I just said, uh, Mr. President, you see, that's the difference between all other world religions and Christianity. He paused, he looked at me. And he says, well, what do you, what do you, what's that mock in his New York accent? Um, and, uh, and I didn't correct him. Uh, no. the, uh, but, uh, uh, and I said, well, you see, uh, Mr. President, uh, all other world religions, it requires you to do something. But in Christianity, it's what we call the atonement. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that paid the price for your sins and for my sins, Mr. President. And, 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 and I, two or three minutes kind of shared. And I wouldn't always remember kind of how he, he looked at me from a transactional standpoint. But I remember walking out of the White House thinking, man, I'm just a small town independent Baptist preacher's kid who got to share the gospel with the President of the United States. Now, I only say that to say this is in walking in this journey, that, that in thinking about to him who is able to do exceedingly more than we could ask or think. That's the essence as we go through life being equipped for whatever moment, whether it's the White House, whether it's at the grocery store, to be able to have that opportunity to let people see Jesus in all of us. Amen. 
I'm not saying that it's always easy, and I'm not saying I've always got it right. There's no, I can tell you stories. We all could talk about the brokenness when our reaction wasn't where it needed to be. But the greatest example that I have seen outside the Word of God, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll close with this, is, is my father. Uh, he has lived out his faith. In fact, uh, he's still getting after it right now. <laughs> Stokesdale, North Carolina, 76 years old, uh, unashamed, speaking the Word uh, as, as God would have him to do, and has lived it out. And I, I love my dad, love my mom. They are examples of the Christian journey. And and really gives, gives your children advantage, mom and dad, when you live out that way. Uh, sacrificed tremendously where we never, we always attended a Christian school and, and not saying that we shouldn't be out there in the marketplace, but just sacrificed dearly for us. And I, but I remember one occasion uh, that I, I have two younger brothers. And if you grew up in the South, you were either at church, you were on a ball field or doing something in the backyard before all the you know electronics and things. And uh, but, uh, but one particular season, we came up with the idea, maybe it was me with my brothers and I, that we all had these low-power BB guns. You know, Daisy, you could almost see the trajectory of, of these things. And, uh, so, but we, we began to kind of have this, this war game that we would play out, two younger brothers versus me, and you kind of go take, take two minutes, you go hide, and you kind of hunt each other down, all this kind of stuff. But there was something exhilarating about shooting your brother in the back of the thigh with a BB gun and hearing him squelch. I can feel that exhilaration to this day, even though he's now 40-something, no? Probably shouldn't feel that way, right? Um, but we, we would do that, and, and Mom would always say, now, boys, you better not do that, because you might put... Okay, you guys grew up, I did, right? So I get it. Well, one day, uh, my younger brother, youngest brother, Clint, uh, who was 10 at the time, middle brother 12, I was 14, something close to that, it shot me in the leg, and you know we had our camis on, camouflage and stuff on. So, and I shot back in the general direction where my middle brother was about the time that he dove behind behind this pile of pine needles, pine straw there. And as soon as I pulled it, I heard this horrific, curling scream, and up he popped with his hand covering his eye, running towards me, and ran to him, and I, I yanked his hand down. And I looked into his eye, and it was so black, full of blood, or so full of crimson, it was almost black, like completely full of black. Told mom she was hysterical. We got him to the local hospital. We were trying to track down my dad, who I think was at a funeral at the time, doing a funeral and performing one there. And we, the local hospital there, Milton, said, "There's nothing we can do." They got him over to the University of West Florida Hospital there in Pensacola, Florida area, and finally got a hold of my dad. Everybody got there. The doctor came in. He says, "I." I don't have good news. He said, you see, not only has one eye been damaged, but the optic nerve that controls sight to both eyes, we think, has been damaged, and he could lose sight not only in one eye, but both eyes. Fourteen years old, I'm 52. To this day, it's probably the most sobering moment that I remember in all my life of, of in that, that night, thinking about, would I live the rest of my life knowing that I blinded my brother for the rest of his. We all played sports. He was an all-star pitcher, and uh, it's the way we kind of grew up. And, and I kept waiting for the anger and the rage toward me. I was the oldest brother. I should have known better. Nothing was said. We decided that we would spend the night there, but we needed some things from the house, so I didn't want to stay there in the room with Clay and Mom, so I decided to ride with my dad. A uh, little Toyota Corolla Tercel. I slid in the back. I, wouldn't, I was, didn't even want to make eye contact and sit in the front seat in the passenger seat. He didn't say much, my dad. 
We drove for about 10 minutes and there's an old rest area there that no longer exists just on the other side of the Interstate 10 bridge. It separates Escambia and Santa Rosa County. And he pulled off there. You could see a tear. He began to pray. He said this. He said, God, he says, I know that you can heal clay and we have served you faithfully for these years. We've given you everything that we have and who we are. And I'm asking you that you would touch Clay's sight and you would restore it. And then he paused. He said, but Father, he said, if it means we can serve you more faithfully, it means that we can reach more people for the cause of Jesus Christ. Lord, if this is the purpose that you have, if this is the cross we're to carry, then I want you to know right now that we accept it. I pray for healing, but we will accept your will. Backed the car out, five-speed, put it first, and off we went. Came back that night, spent the night. The doctor came in the next morning, and he took the bandages off Clay's eyes. He looked at my dad, and he looked back at Clay's eyes, and he looked back at my father, and he said, Sir, you must be those praying kind of people. And my dad said, as a matter of fact, we are. And he said, well, I don't know how to explain this. But he said, but last night, your, your boy's eye was a shattered window pane, but it's fused together, and he should have 20-20 vision in both eyes. Now, I share that not for my story because I don't know that my faith is to that level. But it kind of encapsulates a little bit about the Christian journey when Jesus says, hey, to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Here's the thing that the world doesn't understand. It's a life full of joy, and there's not a believer in here that wouldn't trade it for any, or would trade it for anything else. And for those of you today that's listening that you say, well, I don't know anything about that journey, uh, let me tell you, it's got its ups and downs, but it is a life of fulfillment and joy when you're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever He calls you, whatever He calls you to do, let's lead a life that ultimately the world can see Jesus in all of us. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you right now, <clears throat> just pausing and reflecting. Lord, I need to do it myself this morning to from a renewed standpoint, to make sure these aren't just a repeated sermon or words just off a script, Lord, but it's, a, it's from the heart that we think about this, that ultimately our calling in life is not one of success or always accomplishment, but it's one to walk the Christian journey with faithfulness. Lord, renew our passion today to pursue the, the godliness. Re renew our passion to pursue your will and the calling that you have placed on each and every one of us because as we stated, as the psalmist David wrote, you knew us when we were in the womb. Therefore, you have a design specific purpose of each one of the lives listening today. Guide us, we go, and may we renew our trust in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.